Okay, so now we're starting, right? Yes. Okay, so um, t- we were just talking about terrible malls. And we I just wanted to tell you about what, when David and I were, when I was in grad school and David was living with me in Iowa, we lived in a small town that didn't have very much in it. And the closest town was approximately 30 minute drive away. And I was driving a 20 year old Subaru Outback with 180,000 miles on it. Okay that uh, had a lot of issues, but one of which was it overheated after about 30 minutes. So like every time you drove it? Pretty that's, much. That's not an issue. That's like. <laughs> it developed it when we got to Iowa. <laughs> but like, in Iowa, every drive was like five minutes because it was Iowa City. Oh, and it was always okay. so cold. Oh yeah, because you're in a city. In my impression, Iowa is like, every drive is like five hours, but I guess if you're just staying in the city. Yeah, I mean, there was nowhere else to go but Iowa City unless you had to go to the airport, which was 30 minutes away in Cedar Rapids or. Yeah. One day, David, oh, because Ricky, Bobby, Talladega Nights came out. You know how they keep on going to Applebee's? (laughs) David was like, what is this Applebee's? He's like 38 years old at this point. And he's never (laughs) eaten an Applebee's, which I don't understand. Um, But so I was like, oh, honey, I'll take you to Applebee's. And we drove to Applebee's and the car overheated. And then we couldn't go anywhere until it cooled down or something. So we went to the scariest mall and they had a had like it was terrible and had a bunch of closed stores and like that like only sold like Christian books yeah. and um, like gum. But then there was a basement and we're just walking around this mall killing time until we can eat at Applebee's again. And then by yeah. then the car will have not overheated. <laughs> there was this basement and they had even worse stores. <laughs> and one of them, do you know what the Build-A-Bear workshop is? Yeah, I remember vaguely. <laughs> you do? Okay. Yeah, they were, they had a moment. Yeah. Oh, I don't know when huge. that was, late 90s, early 2000s. Early, to, yeah. It was okay. like Paint Your Own Pottery had a okay. moment. Remember when everybody used to go to Color Me <laughs> Yeah, Paint mine. And Wine had a moment a couple years ago. <laughs> there was Paint and Wine everywhere. You and I should go do that. I wanted to do Paint and Wine so bad, then it closed. Or it moved to a smaller space. There was one in downtown Corvallis <laughs> uh, when we first got here. We should live. For like six months. We should it live podcast Paint and Wine. Oh, <laughs> the single best, sorry, this is related. Single best Christmas present I got. It, like one of those Christmas presents that you just can't top. So my friend Connor, we've just, we do stupid gifts. And a couple years ago, he just started this thing where he would send me Burt Reynolds shit. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't love Burt Reynolds. I mean, I don't hate Burt Reynolds. I'm, I was ambivalent toward Burt Reynolds, but he's, so he sent me like, like one of those like uh, candles, like a, like a, like uh, a votive. Yeah. Like a votive candle with Burt Reynolds on. And he sent me like a, like an actually like really nice pencil drawing of, of Burt Reynolds. But <laughs> uh, then I get just a box in the mail. And of course, cause it's, it's like, you know, male friends, it's like January 7th. And I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? It has no, no nothing, no anything. It's from like a mailbox, et cetera. And I open it up and it is what is clearly a young child has painted Burt Reynolds <laughs> on a piece of canvas. And he got his longtime girlfriend's daughter to do a painting of Burt Reynolds. And it is magnificent. That is the like, best. I'm bringing it, I forgot to bring it in, but I'm putting it in my office. It's it's my new thing. It's Speaking like, of, it's so good. We are in your office, your we work are indeed, yeah. office. This is the first time we have ever recorded the podcast at our place of it's business. True. Yeah. We're it's weird. So professional. We kind of right shit now. on work a lot in the podcast. No, we and don't. Now we're what are you talking about? <laughs> no, we don't. Hold on. <laughs> this is me clapping. <laughs> Cut that. But we... Like they're class- you mean work in general, yeah. not our specific work. Yeah, not not our jobs. Like the art of like not not being leisurely. Right. That that present sounds like the the best gift I've ever heard of. So good. I, so I, good. I I I wonder if I could would would I be able to commission one from my friend Patrick? 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Sammy's up to these days in terms of her art class, but uh, I also like, like to imagine the art teacher. What's he doing? Is he in the, in the figure? Is he, it's just like him with a cowboy hat on. Like (laughs) he's just kind of like, he has that kind of a crooked smile. And I think I might not have known, I mean, no shade to the artist, of course, because it's, it's really a, I mean, it it has like a personality, Mm. but like, I think I knew it was Burt Reynolds right away because of the, of the context. Cause I knew this was right. like, he, it was going to be Burt Reynolds. I think it might've taken me a little bit longer if like <laughs> I just opened it up and it was the first one. So it was, it was, yeah, it's like, but now it's weird. Cause I'm going to have to start explaining to people. Cause like, there's going to be like a shrine to Burt Reynolds, like with a literal candle. Oh yeah. And like, and it's like a little weird, you know, it's like now I have the, both of the Val Kilmer and the Burt Reynolds thing to explain. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is getting weird. I see some overlap in between Maybe. the two, which is odd when you think about it, because it's not like, it's not like they made the same kinds of movies. They're not the same mm. age. They great mustaches. Very yeah. Oh, great mustache growers. Maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe it's very the, different, but both great. Uh, my friend Patrick, a uh, big fan of both. Really? Yeah, huge fan of Burt Reynolds. Uh, has movie posters from posters that Burt Reynolds made that I've never heard of. Like he's like shirtless and wrestling a gator, and it's called like. <laughs> Like name a type of gun, <laughs> but that's like, the, like in his like in his like post Smokey and the Bandit years where he kind of had that like lull. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Yeah, I don't know what what I mean. It looks like a like a Burt exploitation film, okay. you know. Like it just seems like it should come out in like a like just like like local I, theaters. Has Patrick ever grown a mustache? He oh, strikes me as the kind of person who could grow a mean yeah. mustache. He grew, you know, he grew once. Patrick, by the way, uh, at our wedding. So that's how Justin knows him, Patrick grew one of those mustaches that like it goes over your face and then it turns into like a clover under your beard. Oh, so it's like two. I don't even know the name of that one. I, I don't know either. He was in that movie or that, that play killer Joe. They actually did it as a movie it. too. It's Tracy Letts. And I think that's how you, I would describe it. It's like a loop de loop. It's like a butt of hair <laughs> like under. Okay. So chin. it's got like a, a widow's peak in reverse at the yeah. bottom of your face. That's interesting. That's what he did. That'd be great for me. It'd be symmetry. I could have like two little, you know what I mean? A widow peak up top, a widow peak down bottom. You do have a widow's peak. Yeah, I have a serious widow's peak. Are you glad, this is a personal question. Are you glad you still have a full head of hair? Oh yeah. You know, men. Oh yeah. Men, we're not supposed to talk about men. Like the one area where men can actually be sensitive about their bodies, as far as I, like, it seems like hair, like you have to yeah. Everybody knows to be careful when you ask men about their hair. Yeah, totally. But you've got That's like, true. your hair is not going anywhere. It's getting, it's, I, I think I've said, I'm like balding in reverse. It's like growing <laughs> down my face. It's like it's turning the team off. I don't know. It's the Italian, French, Canadian, the unholy combination of the two. The the deciding factor is your mother's father. Did your mother's father have a full, have head, a full, head, full head, of head of hair? Yeah. I mean, it got a little thin at the end, but. That's um, different. That's there's male pattern baldness and then there's hair loss. Okay. I know way too much about this. How do you know so much? Well, I do have a very bald father. Um, oh, if, okay. So my kids, which are now, if they ever happen, they will be adopted because <laughs> <laughs> I'm 700 years old. But were I to have, or, you know, all the children that I, all the eggs that I donated in undergrad, I'm just kidding. Then nobody wanted my eggs. You know what? I tried to donate my eggs once. And you know what the lady on the questionnaire said to me on the, what? on the telephone thing? She goes, well, the history of mental illness in your family is going to be a problem, as will Whoa. the freckles. Apparently, people like the, don't want a freckled baby. <laughs> was your was this person that? Because I'm rewatching BoJack Horseman, which bad idea oh. in winter. But oh yeah, the part where Princess Caroline is like that, <gasps> the rhino gyno, yeah, and he's just like the most callous. <laughs> like he's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe your eggs are lazy, and uh, maybe you're you yeah. didn't care enough about the child. It's, you're just like, wow. <laughs> I forgot about the rhino guy. I do think this was like a service. 
But and it was always the '90s when everybody. I told the students today, by the way, in the class that I just taught before coming into your office to record this podcast about the fact that Dolly, the cloned sheep, was named. Yeah. Do you know this? She was named after Dolly Parton. I did not. Oh, maybe I did. I, I forgot that. I and the that. reason is because um, the cell that they used to clone her was a mammary cell, and they were <laughs> okay. They were like, and these are like, you know, 400 level students and they're, they're, they're cool, but they, they were like kind of surprised that something that inappropriate. Mm. And I was like, man, you want to talk inappropriate? Like that's one of my G rated nineties stories. I was going to say that was the nineties, man. (laughs) There's so many things. Unbelievable. Yeah. I would always have that with like, you know, there's just like that thing when you watch nineties movies with like Arlo and it's like, he's just like horrified and you're like, oh, that's just kind of how it was. I never thought in the nineties, I remember like watching seventies movies and being like, wow. But yeah. like, I, I never thought that was going to happen again. Remember like, Animal House? Or like oh they just God. like put a woman in a shopping cart who's drunk and yeah. just wheel her to the frat house? Or, or like, like the, there's that worse Animal House? Porky's or something? Porky's. Yeah. It's Kim just Control. like. Oh my God. Oh, is that, is that Kim Control? <laughs> yeah. She's also the mannequin in Mannequin. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That was a good movie. I Definitely saw that. I took my mother, my birthday party in third grade was my mother took me and my friends to see Mannequin. Mannequin was like a sensation. Philadelphia. It was Philly. That's right. I don't know if I've seen it since like 1986 or whenever, but Andrew McCarthy, you know what we should do just, just because we should do an episode where we talk about mannequin. <laughs> Is it an essay? <laughs> do you have that song? And we can build this. That's the one. Together. Okay. Stand and stop forever. I always get that mixed up with the song that's playing in, um, Top Gun when they're having shadow sex. You Take know my saying? breath away. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always, <laughs> I always have those two. Like, I forget which one is Mannequin and which one is Top Gun, which I shouldn't because the Top Gun soundtrack was like my first yeah. set. Highway to the Danger Zone. Yeah, I just basically played Highway to the Danger Zone over and what over What else again. was on there? Uh, the Take not, My Breath Away. Yeah, Take My Breath Away, not to build this thing forever. Uh, and it, then. It used to be every like a, movie had a theme, like a rock yeah. theme and a ballad. I love that. Also, like, love theme, they, they used to it. include, like, the there would be those clips that were just, like, the instrumental music that's playing when, like, they <laughs> high-five at the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like, okay. I Remember guess Axel F? Boop, 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 Yeah, that sounds great. That was, from was that from? Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Is that what that was from? Yeah, it's not like it was playing on, like, a Nintendo. Um, I used to put on shows, which, like, what? Somebody, you know about this, like, well, I should save this for March Exodus, but, like, you know that they make like these eight bit versions of songs where it's like Nintendo versions of popular songs. I found one of, I think we're alone now recently. Mm. Somebody made it last year. It's pretty good. Well, that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you. Uh, although I, I, I do have questions about your Christmas presents and malls <laughs> is uh, you and David are both yeah. writing about Tommy James and the Shondells yeah. covers for the new soon to be. And, and y'all's is, is there, even though March Exodus doesn't start until March, the essays are due like, In like the, four days or something. Yeah. Have you started? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been working on it. Dave and I were talking about it where it's like, I, it's hard to evaluate anymore how serious March Exodus should be in like my writerly life versus how serious it is. Dave and I were talking mm-hmm. about this where it's like, David was saying, you know, David has, as you well know, quite a lot on his writing plate at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, Every day I think, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I spending all this time on this essay? No, no shade to March Exodus, which we all love, but you know, and he spends um, hours a week on that thing. Yeah. It's like, it's weird. It's like this weird panic and the deadline. I don't have a lot of deadline. I don't write on deadline a lot anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I I have been working on it a lot. There's a lot of pressure. I told David not to start it so early. Like that, I think that was my one. I would, I mean, don't, Andrew, I hope you're not listening to this because I often turn mine in late, but like, 
I knew that if I started in no- did, did you see his email was like, I swear there's like an Elena clause now where it's like, <laughs> you must tell us, sorry, Andrew, but it's like, you must tell us early if you are going to be late. It takes a long time to lay these out. And I was just like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was for me. <laughs> then the next year though, I turned it in super early as like a, but super early for me is like a day early. But, yeah. um, but yeah, like I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's sort of taking over his life and he, he has these huge ideas for the essay that are really good. And I see so much of myself in the process. Cause it's like, I did this with the, the, the that one essay that I wrote that didn't go anywhere in terms of the tournament because crook shadows, it was oh, the yeah. first one yeah. that crook what, shadows. What song was that? My song was red right hand and crook oh, shadows yeah. was called like fart party yeah, at comic-con or something. Sorry. <laughs> crook shadows. I think it's pronounced crew shadows. Who cares? But like the more and more I like, ex- I thought about it in this sort of like expansive way, the more and more it turned into an essay that there was no way in hell that I could write. Yeah. Like in four weeks, faux free, yeah. you know, that was the one that I turned in so super late to answer. Also Andrew. on the internet, what are you going to have like a 7,000 more? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, that keeps happening to me. And then I'm telling myself, well, you'll have like, this is just like the short draft of the essay. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, cause later I'm going to spend another month on a 7,000 word essay, but I think we're alone now. <laughs> like for do. what? And like, but it is kind of, um, yeah, it's, uh, so you're not done. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close, but okay. you're right though. Cause the, my favorite Xness essay I've written, I've written, I did it in like two days. Yep. It Same. was like right up against the end. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm up against the cure. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to lose by 150 votes. Was that the one where you decided that the Saddam Hussein yeah, was a fan of <laughs> And I don't even remember why Saddam Hussein got into it. I was just like, whatever, Saddam Hussein. Um, My favorite one was I wrote about pour some sugar on me and it was just me making fun of the pour some sugar on me video. And and the other thing is that like, I know we're going to be doing quite a few episodes about March Exodus, so mm. we probably shouldn't talk that much about it. But like, um, <coughs> I feel like those kind, there's something about the quickly put together version of the essay that, <coughs> conno- that connects with the way that people are reading these. Yeah. You know, kind of like, Absolutely. I mean, not always, like every once in a while I'll read one and I'll be like, oh, you know, I, I don't think you, sometimes people come in, come in and they don't, because so many people are taking the essay so seriously, it really stands out when it's like, yeah. oh, you wrote this the day that it was due. It's just like a, in, in a really earnest way, just like, like a Wikipedia a, entry of, like yeah. a write up. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and it's, <clears throat> and then you like, it's usually a writer who's not frequently participating right? because other people are just like, it's like when you dress up for church just for the other church ladies, like yeah. we're going to church, we're, we're getting our hats ready, oh, yeah. oh, you yeah. know, like, and nobody else gives a shit, but we got to, well, I mean, really like you think about, I, I have also been thinking about, it. I try not to think about this, but like, okay, say I publish, uh, a, like a essay in like a pretty good lit journal, mm-hmm. probably what, 15 times more people are going to read the March Exodus one. Yeah. 20? Maybe, maybe more. Good. Like it, the ratio point. could be way higher. You know what I mean? In terms of actually like people reading it. Yeah. And not only that, but like people I respect, like, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like other like writers and people who like write essays. So yeah. like, that's like, that pressure is real. I think. That's why it feels this way. I think. And why like David and y'all, it, like David was, is already thinking about particular frequent contributors and how they might be in conversation yeah. with his essay. And I'm like, yeah, this is, <laughs> these are all the things we tell our students not to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Don't imagine Michiko Kachutani like reading your. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not, yeah. Although you do imagine, I do imagine, I like to imagine Tommy James and Tiffany reading it. Well, Tommy James is on Twitter. So like is Tiffany. hardcore. This is possible. Tiffany's on Cameo. I almost like bought a Cameo, but I'm like, I'm not spending $200 on this essay. Like I would help. I thought about it. I thought about it, but then also, what am I going to ask her? 
And also, you, to read the you can't use cameos. Her her cameo specifically is like not for commercial use. And I don't know what commercial mm. use means. I'm not making any money off it, but like, yeah, that can't be commercial. I don't know. Speaking of non-commercial, I'm trying to think of a of a oh, right. of a segue. Oh yeah, well we should. I should. Uh, sorry, we missed an episode. Everybody, we had I had COVID, and then actually had like symptomatic COVID. And yeah, what was it like? You had the Omnicromny? Yeah. So I. Uh, I got it. I kind of knew I was going to get it because I had to fly <laughs> and I just knew. You flew and, to Arizona. Yeah. Like when like I was a day or like I was there, like all I did, I flew to Arizona. Got and COVID then, and came home. <laughs> and then like I was there for like, I was like one day in Phoenix, one day in Tucson for a family reunion, only in situations of like lots of people in a room with no masks. <laughs> and I just was like, I just hope I get it when I get back. And that's what happened basically. how long after this this has turned into a covid podcast but uh by the way in georgia when you drive to florida it doesn't matter how you go the first building on every highway that goes north and south has a a place where you can get orange juice that's all i had to say no um that's the way i feel about arizona and covid <laughs> It's like yeah, every it's time you like, fly into the state, they just give you a little, it's a, it's like a little mouthwash size thing of orange juice, fresh squeezed great. orange juice of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, it's that and like Dateland. One of my favorite things in Arizona is if you're driving to Yuma, like if you're driving in from San Diego to Yuma, like Southwestern Arizona, where it's all just like sand dunes. One of the first things you hit, I think it's in, on the Arizona side or it could be going to California is a place called Dateland, which <laughs> just is like date shakes, date like salad. I don't know. It's just dates. Yuck. Yeah. Anyway, what, um, what? I guess because they grow dates there just there. Yeah. It's not like a big crop, but anyway. Um, yeah. So I got it and it was like, I mean, I had been boosted and, but it was like three months before. So whatever. Anyway, it was like a bad cold for like, a, but it was for like a week. Really bad. And then, uh, what happened was then when it went away, I was like, I'm over COVID, but what is, and then I got a sinus infection what? from COVID, which apparently is pretty common because you're just spend six days with like your whole head is just full of just gunk. And then oh. after the COVID passed, I didn't have like a cough anymore. Didn't have any fatigue. None of that. Um, I just had like a sinus infection, which I still have like a low level sinus infection. What, like two was, and a half weeks later. What kind of bad cold was it? Was it a like, Oh, I'm going to be in bed for three days or was it like just walking around feeling like shit? Mine was more like headache, like no fever, very little cough, like not much chest stuff, but it was just like the front of your face feels like it's just going to explode, you know, like time gonna, so slow. Yeah. Yeah. It was that. Um, and, and being like weirdly tired, mm. um, like way more tired than usual. While it's like, it's really nice here now and the sun has been out yeah, for a few days, but is, yeah. the weeks that you had COVID, I remember them being particularly dark. <laughs> I also was kind of like, you know what? I mean, I'm going to get it. So this isn't the worst week to have it when it's like well, that's true. cold every day and whatever. So I just like watched a lot of TV. And, and now you're a superhero. Yeah. Now like, I feel pretty good. I'm like kind of bulletproof at this point, at least for a couple months, at least until knock on wood, whatever comes next. Till you go back to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing that anytime soon. Um, it was great though. It's just like you, like the, the, the just like complete and utter like paranoia about mass and everything in Here. the airplane and in the airport. Oh. And then you walk outside the airport and it's just like, what? COVID? Did you see a mask? I, at one point, this is, a, I don't want to sell them out, but like a um, family member was like, we went to a restaurant because they don't cook and I was staying with them and they were like, big sign right out front. Please wear masks. Same, same deal. <laughs> Whoops. 
Same deal as Oregon, where it's like, um, wear a mask until you sit down, which doesn't make any sense if we're being honest, but whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the, the case is, li- the, the, well, it's limited at best, and it certainly doesn't provide the safety that I think a lot of people yeah. assume. Well, like, it's just, such- especially with cloth masks. And, anyway, so I, I put on a mask just because, for the pure purpose of just like, don't be an asshole. About That's the it. rules. And literally he was like, what are you doing? Take that off. And I just like pointed at the sign and he was like, look around at everybody else like getting, and it was true. Like not a single other, everybody else just streaming right past the sign. Oh my God. And he's like, nobody, nobody puts them on. Like you don't have to, the governor <laughs> said so. And I was like, oh, well, all right. You have a mandate to be a giant asshole, um, yeah. but whatever. Aww. Yeah. Anyway. So that was uh, why we wound up skipping an episode. Um, it's a but, good reason. Yeah, Honestly, like it's the only time we've done it, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, no, we did it during work. a season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you, uh, but you're, you feel like you're still, you haven't had it or you might've just been asymptomatic and it's either asymptomatic <clears throat> or I, you know, right after we got married in Las yeah. Vegas, I came home and I was in, and I don't get that the kind of in bed sick. I just don't, I don't know why, I'm, but I don't, I have yeah. plenty of ailments, but they're mostly like muscle and right. spinal oriented. But, um, I was super sick. So maybe that did something, although it's so long ago and I'm vaxxed and boosted. Although, yeah. you know, I'm always kind of tired and sniffly. Yeah. Although I haven't, I haven't been sick since, since then, like, mm. because I never go anywhere and I wash my hands and like my sphere of contaminant until I started teaching undergrads again, this term Yeah. from March of 2020 to like January of 2022. I mean, I went to Florida, but um, maybe yeah. I got it then. But yeah, uh, maybe I got it. I don't know. David, you know, it works in a bar. I know. And his mask is, uh, uh, it, 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 he's very easily heard when he wears it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> not any, not when, when we go out, he wears an, a KN95. Well, you can't really. I mean, that's you, an eight you can't hour spend shift. eight hours on your feet in a bar. Yeah. I mean, that's, and he's far, order. he's never faced it. The only person that he gets within six feet of is the person with whom he tends bar. Yeah. And they're like joined at the hip anyway. So yeah. I don't know. Like, Let them give each other code. I, I shouldn't say that everybody be safe and take care of yourselves. And I completely understand. I understand it all, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I also am surprised that, and I'm glad you're better ish. Yeah. Yeah. You're me still. too. It's, uh, it's like, you know, it, it's, that's the weirdest part is when you get, when I got the, I got the positive test, it was like, yeah. And I was like, wait, no, that's not like, but it was like, finally, right. It's not just seasonal allergies this time. It's right. not just like stress or whatever. It's just like, I'm, I was right. And it's during the surge. It's yeah. like, okay, I don't have to wait for when my yeah. number's going to drop or whatever. That was the weird thing. You look at like, I was looking at like the weekly and it was this, the week that it went from like the, you know, in, in our County, the highest weekly caseload have been like 150 the week it went to like 700 i was like oh i'm one of those you're like riding at the top of the curve yeah. like you've got a, you've got a cowboy hat on burt reynolds style i made it so i have to tell you one more thing um but it's non-fiction oriented i'm teaching uh many of your former students oh. in the they took the 300 level class with you and now they're taking the 400 level class with me um and some <laughs> this isn't what i was gonna say but so many of them call you professor germain oh which yeah i know every I'm time you do that they do that the germain jackson pops into my head <laughs> i'm like i'm professor tito <laughs> it's the only thing i say only thing i say to be in class I say you know what you can call me whatever you want but if you do call me by my last name it's saint germain your middle I name is just not call saint. Me justin just like it's yeah. fine but it makes them uncomfortable they don't call me professor passarello ever 
Like interesting. Ever. Not even like first day. Not even like no. Okay. Uh, no, like we had an interview with a great student. Oh yeah, we did. And they we called me Professor Passarello, but I think that's just because they were calling you Professor Saint Germain. Yeah. Like sometimes they don't even call me Elena. Sometimes they just call me like Laner. I don't know. Wow. I am a foot shorter than you, but like, I don't, I mean, is that that's, really what 12, like 12 inches vertical buys you is? I don't know. I love my last name too. I mean, I don't want to be called Professor Passarello, but like, well, it's, I mean, I like Professor alliteration, you know, Yeah, maybe that's hard. Also like Professor Passarello rolls off the tongue a little more. They, I mean, the professor saying, you know, it's, professor I understand Germain. why people leave it out. Cause it just doesn't like, but uh, yeah, same thing with when it's mostly grad students will like call me JSG all the time. And I remember mm-hmm. when I first got here and I was like, you know, Saint's not my middle name, right? <laughs> like those aren't my initials, but then I just gave up. Like whatever, whatever you want to do. Cause your middle name is Jerome. No, my middle name is Alan with Alan. a Y. It's a French Canadian name. It's, but it is the same middle name. This is how lazy my family was. It is a French Canadian middle name. <laughs> and my dad has that middle name. And so does my older brother. They what? didn't even bother giving me a new middle name <laughs> from my older brother. I know. That's the worst. I was just like such an afterthought. They were like, I don't know, like whatever. That's almost like this girl that I went home with once when I was at Pitt, she took me home to meet her family in Philly and she had a cousin named Dominic who had a kid. They were like my age. So they were like 19, but they had a kid named Dominic. And then that relationship broke up. And so they had another kid with another lady named Dominic. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. It's just like, whoa. And they were all at this event that I was at. But anyway, but that's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, cause we were talking about pandemic and nonfiction. So I was trying to show the students, like I do this exercise to sort of show them, like when you put a collage essay together, one of the things I think that makes a collage essay exciting is if you're kind of broad with your interpretations of whatever the central theme is. You know, one of the things that's great about bluets is that she talks about the Picasso's blue period and being sad and Joni Mitchell and blue in science and blue in chemistry. So I I do this brainstorming list on the board of like all the different places your brain goes when you think about um, home. I think we did. So we did home and they did like homey and Patrick Mahomes and and then like diapers and hermits and uh, uh, homeostasis and uh, agoraphobia. And then we did another one and I think it was hair or something. But anyway, both of them just seemed like when it was over there, like these are just nouns that I associate with the pandemic. And then we, when we did it again for a second brainstorming sesh, all of those words were just words that people associated with the pandemic. And I was like, maybe we are all going to be writing pandemic essays forever. I really wonder about it now after having like, cause I mean, it's not a spoiler cause it's what the episode's about. We're talking about the pushcart <laughs> prize, but like, cause having like just read best American and then having now read all the essays in the pushcart from mm-hmm. this, it's yeah. I mean, I mean, they're pretty much not all of them, but by there's a lot. And even yeah. like, even the ones that don't mention it are like, they just feel like inflected. Yeah. They, they, they're tinged with the, the, the cloud of the pandemic is lowering over them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about this. Cause is it, was it the very you, last episode? We got one, sorry. I, oh. we, we did get a reader email, which I didn't tell you about. We did. We did. Yeah. Um, and we do first names only. Right. So, uh, Sebastian, thanks for the email. Appreciate Woo-hoo. it. Uh, relatively new listener. Um, found out about it in the last month and says he's, uh, delighted that it exists. Hey, I'm glad you found it. But um, I was talking about Catherine Schultz and suggested um, 
a particular review, which uh, I'll link to and was kind of suggesting it for the pod. We'll, we'll discuss. We had kind of have a backlog right now, but like it's called why I despise the great Gatsby from 2013, oh, wow. which is kind of cool. And then also mentioned the first book, uh, which is being wrong. Uh, sorry, Catherine Schultz's first book, uh, being wrong adventures in the margin of error. And she, her second book is forthcoming. Is that what you, is that yeah, what you said? Or like it's out, out now okay, or something. It's like, and it's, I think it's a memoir, right? Um, I just suggested one of her essays to one of our, a student that we've both had, uh, um, Abigail, oh, I yeah, can say yeah. her name, just her first name. Yeah. Abigail's great. We're talking about, she's got an essay on stink bugs. That's amazing. Okay. Um, the Catherine Schultz. I don't know that. Oh, Catherine Schultz. Does. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was like literally an hour ago and now Sebastian through, through the delay of the email, but like, yeah. So I feel like the universe is telling us that we, we may need to focus in on some Catherine Schultziness either this season or next. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, welcome, welcome Sebastian. Thank you for writing. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're reading this year's push cart, uh, mm-hmm. and really just a, a couple essays from it. So there are, I mean, I, I'm guessing people are familiar with the push cart, but basically it's an anthology. It's a multi-genre anthology, um, put out by, it's kind of like the other, best of, but it's like the multi-genre best of, and it's the very, which I think is the other big distinction. It's best of the small presses. It doesn't do, I don't, That's I don't right. remember exactly how it defines large press, but like there's no New Yorker, there's no, no Atlantic. There's no Granta, but that is like, yeah. but and that's not even, I guess that's not even really that big. It's just, it's like, it's like March Exodus. It's just, we all know it. Yeah. And, um, the other thing that apparently from the, the intro, which I didn't realize, um, I've, I've been reading the push cart regularly for like four or five years now. And I mean, had occasionally before that, but like regularly read all the essays in it now. And you know, one thing about it, which I don't think is a knock against the anthology, but for our purposes, it, it probably has fewer essays than it does any other genre. I mean, it has like, yeah. I think I counted and it's being charitable about what an essay is. There's like, <laughs> there's like 11 or 12 out of, um, you know, in like a 400. Right. Cause they're not labeled. Page. The yeah, only thing that's, the that's labeled thing. in the push card anthology it's is fiction. fiction. So really both poetry yeah. and literally not fiction. Yeah. Are it the, just doesn't. Yeah. I like not fiction. I know. Isn't in it? Some ways isn't better it than nonfiction. Like, although I don't like, I don't know. They're all fiction. Um, yeah, it's also, you know, I have not been a frequent reader of the push cart. I, I know about it and I, I know that there's always jokes about like, if you get yeah. nominated, it's like, right. it's like an associate producer credit on a film kind totally, of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, although whenever I get nominated for a push cart, I tell everybody, so whatever. But um, it, the founding editors are like Anais Nin and Buckminster Fuller yeah. and Ralph Ellison, uh, so, and Paul Bowles, Joyce Carol Oates, uh, I guess served in some respects on some, some part of it. And then there's like, so it's like much best American essays is only like 30 years old, right? Or yeah. 35 years Pushcart old. Pushcart has a much longer, um, has a much longer history. I would say probably a much more literary history. Um, mm-hmm. cause yeah, it's, I mean, you look at that list of founding 40 founding editors. And then the other thing is like, what it does is, I mean, it, so not only can every literary magazine in the country nominate, you can actually, I think, I think anybody can nominate. I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but like not only does, can any literary magazine nominate themselves. So like the selection process is so much different. Cause you know, we, we did talk a fair amount about like the best American process, which is very like top heavy. It's like kind of one person mm-hmm. winnowing down, but mm-hmm. 
And this is more, uh, I, I would say, well, bottom heavy is a bad word, but you know, it's more like much more, um, decentralized, decentralized. There's a couple, like a couple hundred contributing editors, um, who also are, can just, you just submit, um, like they send you a letter every year and they're like, you can submit up to 10 things and it can either be writers or it can just be pieces. And so like, you can just nominate um, a writer and then the writer yeah. sends in what they want. So like for the last two years, we kind of as like, you know, I kind of on behalf of the podcast or whatever things we've read or whatever, I'll just nominate. I mean, I don't, I don't tell people cause like, I don't like that. Like I, I would love for somebody to get one and just like, but you're not going to go, I'm not going to go around being like, I nominated you. By the way. Like, yeah, cause it's like weird, like networky thing to me. But anyway, um, but I really like that idea of like all these people nominate and I don't know who makes the final decisions. I, I get the impression there's a lot of people, but mm. um, yeah. So, and it's also huge. It's, it's like a doorstop. Pages. And the other thing that I think is a big, big distinction in terms of anthologies is it's independently published. They publish it themselves. They have their own press, the Pushcart press, Pushcart press. And they okay. always, I think they always have. Um, and part of the reason I point that out is because the editor, um, in his editor note, in his intro, uh, the editor is um, Bill Henderson. Mm -hmm. uh, and in his intro, I feel like his intros the last few years have gotten um, more and more pointed about these points, but it's like, <laughs> like uh, here's a little, little bit. Why the rush to small presses? Because commercial book publishers and magazines are mired in a commercial muddle because writers no longer need them because most writers prefer not to be somebody's bottom line item. Whew. Yeah, it's like... And I mean, I got I have to admit, I, I, <laughs> I agree, but it's spicy. It's like, I kind of like it. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, that's the other kind of big difference. I think it's very much the small presses, like literary magazines, not like, you know. And so we've three times we've talked about best American and I feel like a sentence has come from your face at, every time that is somewhere to the tune of you know, what I'm reading in the best American essays is a little homogenous or it speaks of, uh, like one culture and not like a bunch of cultures. And like, it's kind of like, Oh, this is the same kind of essay. This is a New Yorker essay for 60% of the pieces. I mean, not necessarily as condemning as that, but it's definitely like a factor that you notice. Right. Do you feel like there's more of a breadth in, since you've been reading several years of the push carts, do you, do you get a, a different, a different kind of broadness and, and the submissions here uh, or, the, or the accepted. I think so. Well, I mean, I don't know about broadness because I, this year was a kind of an outlier and I think for totally understandable reasons, just like we, we talked about like with best right. American, right? I mean, a, like 75% of them are about the pandemic because mm -hmm. it's just the dominant thing. But in most years, I think it, it has a fairly broad, like broad range of content. Don't you feel like that? Absolutely. But, but I will say the, Best American, one of my beefs with best American essays is that we talked a lot about this. We talked about actually about this three times is, mm -hmm. I mean, I think I have issues with all three of the words in the title, but, mm -hmm. um, and not the year part, everything else, but like <laughs> essays, I think it, they're often more like, um, I think the word I used before, which I would probably still use is like middle brow. Like it, it's not mm -hmm. doing like heavily experimental stuff. It's right. not including like, right. Sometimes, sometimes there'll be one, there'll be two, there'll be three. You'll see a diagram piece every mm -hmm. couple of years, which, you know. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I feel, I don't know if it's just like the influence of you telling me that I would probably feel this way, but like, I do feel 
a breadth. Uh, I read all of the essays we, we both did in order, all the things that we think maybe are essays. Yeah. And some of them I don't know. Honestly. Um, it's like, like 10 or something out of, I think I counted it's, it's a small percentage of the anthology, but in general, like it does seem like, I don't know how to pinpoint exactly what the breadth is because, well, I mean, I felt, I, I think it just, you can feel the difference of the magazines, I think for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. I, I just happened to, um, I borrowed your copy of the 2021 to do the reading and then I gave it back to you. But then in the lost and found here in this building is 2020. Oh, nice. And I looked at the, um, uh, the publications and it's N plus one. I wonder if that's mine. Oh, maybe it no, is. You, you can keep it. I lost it, but I, I, I did lose my 2020. It looks great. I might've I mean, left it in a classroom at some point. It's no, a, it. it's, I mean, it's, it's a good range. It's uh, N plus one, uh, yeah. New England review, plowshares, creative nonfiction. These are just for the essays, Georgia review, the sun, Salma Gundy, McSweeney's Granta, three penny review, narrative and brevity. Yeah. The doubles, um, are New England review, plowshares and Georgia review. Mm. Which is interesting because I'm I'm not like we've had some students who've placed in I know in Georgia Review, but I've I don't think of like when people are like where should I send my stuff? I don't think yeah. about those, but like obviously, um, you know, Pushcart is kind of interested in them, and I think yeah. I think there's a real difference between Salma Gundy, McSweeney's, and Brevity. So I it's hard to say like it's 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 maybe my prejudices, but I felt like when I was kind of moving through the essays in the 2021, I could, I could, the, the different editorial aesthetics of those kind of wide ranges of publications that seemed to be in the air when I was moving from, and also, you know, I think we're going to discuss a piece by a woman who's an MFA candidate and, and and a person who is like, like an activist kind of part-time writer in their like, fifties or something. Mm -hmm. Right. So arguably there is some difference in perspective, although we can, we can put a little pressure on that, you know, like I totally, yeah. I mean like, and I think this year there's one from consequence, there's one from, and there are some things that are a little more whatever article ish from like long reads or what have you, but like Mm -hmm. there's a wide range. And also I do think any anthology, it's just the reality is going to have a little bit of like the name factor. Mm hmm. But if we're being honest about Best American, there's a lot of bad essays that get in there just because of the person that wrote it because they need to sell copies. Mm-hmm. Like they think it's going to sell, you know, that name will sell copies. And I mean, there's there's always going to be a little bit of that. Um, I'm not saying like, I, I don't think that like, I'm not saying that I, I don't think like the average piece in the push cart is necessarily dramatically better mm-hmm. than like the average piece in the, you know, whatever. The, there's always the same range. There's like not that many great essays published every year. No, yeah. But there's not a... One thing that's weird is I've, I don't think I've ever seen an overlap, which is weird to me. The same essay in is both. Is that right? I mean, I do not have a historical. I'm sure it's happened, but like it doesn't seem to happen a lot, uh-huh. which is interesting, right? Because you would think that like a couple knockout both- pieces from like, but I think part of that is that the best, best American just doesn't take from small presses. They, they put them in the notables, but they, they'll have one or two pieces that are from actual small magazines. That's an interesting thing to think about is how many times some of these, because some of these essays that we read are, I think, just excellent. Yeah. Like, ex-a-fucking-lent. Not all of them. I'm not naming names. There's one names, of them that I think, but there's at least one, maybe two or three, where I was like, I, I kind of want somebody to explain to me why this wasn't in Best American Essays. Right. Yeah. No, I think the, the one that I, yeah. the, the fish uh, gutted, I, I yeah. 
I, I find it spectacular. Yeah. So how many of these humdinger essays or how many entire tables of contents of the scant essays that are published in Pushcart are like, well, what's the percentage, I guess, of Pushcarts to notables? Because if we're not oh, seeing an overlap at all, like are, are they? Yeah. Okay. And then it's like, if you keep seeing like that, that would give me a little bit of pause. Like, yeah, that's interesting too, because there is um, one of the things about best American is like, you know, it seems like every year they have the notables get like two pages longer and it's just like, mm-hmm. everything's a notable, which whatever, I mean, it's still an accomplishment, but like the push cart does have notables, but it's, um, and also I wanted to, I, I did it was Susan Jackson Rogers, our colleague for what is a really, I think, excellent essay did get a notable in this. Um, but like there's fewer notables in here. I mean, mm. there's probably as many, but it's three genres. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to sift through. It's, uh, but yeah, like exactly what you're saying is one of the things I've really started to love about the push card is like, if I want to discover like, like new writers, like new essayists, mm-hmm. I don't read best American. Mm-mm. I mean, what are the odds you're going to, you know what I mean? Like it's not new names. Usually there's usually a couple. Yeah. I feel like when I now, I mean, I, I, I like reading best American every year. Um, I do it more professionally, I think than anything, but, um, I think my brain when I do it is I'm reading an aesthetic much more so than, and, and when somebody makes the best American, I'm like, Oh, you, you punched into that, that world. And you know, I don't mean to, I, I'm certainly not, not counting myself as a reader of that world. Cause I am. Um, but this, I felt much more like I'm being invited to somebody else's party in a, in a better way. Like, it was good. Like it, it was a, I'm really, and I'm really, I'm really glad that I'm really glad that this, this forced me to do it. The one thing I will say though, is so this lost and found book of yours slash that I stole, I don't know, was it in the lost and found or did I just steal it while you were no, getting water? I probably just left it in a class or it might, I might still have mine somewhere, but I think I did lose my 2020. It, it Yeah. I don't see it on the shelves, but I, I w- looked through it because I noticed in the 2021 that all of the essays were first person. Is that right? And then, except for the one that you and I are not sure if it's an essay or not, and it was oh. written by a famous fiction writer, and it yeah. makes no fucking sense. Right. So I don't think we should count it. I don't, I don't like, know what that thing is. The famous old, right? You know, no, nobody, nobody listening, nobody who would ever give a shit about our podcast, like a super famous person. Um, yeah. I don't know why am I not saying her name, Joyce Carol Oates. It was just a dumb essay, yeah. like or dumb whatever it is. I don't even know. Also, what it I was. think it's kind of an open secret. I've, I've talked to multiple editors at this point where like, it's just like handwritten first drafts. Yuck. That get sent in, and it's like just people publish it just because it's her. Oh man, have I got a story to tell you off mic, but I won't. But I went through this one that I found in the last and found and it's the same situation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, you that know, yeah. so, but of course, like the percentage of page space that's devoted to n- not fiction prose is really small. Like there's a ton of poetry mm. in here and a lot of really long short stories yeah. or short fiction. And, um, you know, like, I would say it's something like less than 15% of the page space is devoted to not fiction prose. Oh yeah. But among that, on the two, the two anthologies that I've combed through, it is not interested in, I mean, I would say there's experimentation on the inside of it. It's not like if you write a personal essay, it's not experimental, but um, there's some interesting uses of form and narrative, but the Leah Perpera piece does a lot with language. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all fixed in the personal experience, which is yeah. like, and then I'm like, well, what doesn't do that? You know? And yeah, then, you know, like, that's true. And I try to like, uh, then I try to like, Oh, you dish it out, but you can't take it. Cause you know, I I'm teaching this 400 level class and we're reading a lot. It's kind of based on literary magazines and nearly every essay that I've curated, maybe even every essay that I've curated for the, the long form section is a first person essay. 
Hmm. You know, and I'm thinking about in terms of the students' accessibility and representation, yeah. but still like I'm, I'm over here like being like, whatever, there's no, everything here is the first person in it. But then I went and I looked at this packet and it's just like, it's a Michelle Zahner piece, a Naila yeah. Orr piece, Erica Trebold's uh, list of concerns. So Bassier's fear in the time yeah. of the Javelina. Um, but they're all, they're all amazing, but they're all first person accounts. Do you think that has anything to do with like level? I mean, sometimes I feel like a third person essay or just a non first person essay is the kind of thing. And maybe it's a bad idea, but like the kind of thing I would generally teach in like advanced mm. or like now that it's, mm-hmm. I think inherently harder to read, but just because it's like, start with the more, familiar, it's like a hook. The personal is a hook. Yeah. Start yeah. with the more familiar form and then kind of work up to. And I think that's the reason that this, and this is certainly the case in best American too. Oh, that was just as, trying to think. I know there were a couple, there were a couple that weren't first person. They have a little bit more of that reportage too, yeah, yeah. I think, which is a part of it, but still like, I think it's just, I think if I would posit that if you're curating an anthology of three different genres, like we know this in so many other spheres in which all three genres are being evaluated, it's very likely that the people who are making the executive decisions are more familiar with one of the other two genres than they are with nonfiction or both other genres. So then that hook becomes, it becomes reduced. I think about this with the NEA grant all the time. Like that hook becomes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I've so, been told by multiple people, like mm-hmm. send, send something that's first what Anders, person when he put out that tri- tweet. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is fine. I mean, honestly, like that's what I'm writing now. So it's okay. But like, no, I'm just kidding. But, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know why I'm so hell bent on wanting nonfiction to have more than that. Like I was talking to the students today because I, I realized that I have kind of set them up to write these personal essays. And I just want to be like, if you just want to write about how great that video is where Tom Holland dances right. and yeah, listens yeah. to Rhiannon's um, umbrella in a latex bathing suit right. and like, please do it. Like that's, that counts. And like, you can do yeah. some amazing weird shit with that, but like. When you can also do it in the first, part. like I, I, yeah, I do sure. think there's a lot of first, like even probably my favorite one in this piece is it's a first person essay and it has personal elements, but I don't think it's a personal essay. Which one is that? Open house by Jeremiah Moss. Yeah. Let's maybe we should, uh, yeah. let's, and this is this was one of those. Um, this is probably one of like those doobie, like the bigger small press. You know, it is from New York, so it's not like something I'm. You know, M plus one big magazine. I would mm-hmm. say it's like it's not the Atlantic or anything, but is pr- pretty well known. Um, but I didn't know this writer at all. Uh, Me either. And I believe from the bio, uh, they're working on the first book. First book right now, it's a, mm-hmm. but which I think is a novel, if I remember right. I could be misreading that. But um, anyway. Yeah. And like, I mean, I read, uh, this was the essay in particular. I think there, I actually taught a few essays from this in the first week of the grad workshop, just as like a, cause you know, you don't want anybody to hand out yet. People need time to think, yeah. but it's like what, and just not like saying like, these are all fantastic or anything like that, but like, let's look at like some, these are three essays that a big group of writers who are like, know what they're talking about picked as like the best, uh, of the small literary presses. Why maybe let's talk about why. And yeah. this was one of them. Um, That's a I great think, strategy too for using the push cart too, is that like the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but no, like, fine. this is just one sentence. Like a lot of the magazines in which these appear, like a grad student would be like, there would be no like, uh, f- like intimidation factor, or maybe it would be yeah. less of an intimidation factor to be like, Oh, Agni. Yeah. Like I will, I'll submit to Agni. So you can, you can use it as a teaching tool as like, 
oh, this is a community that's ready. I mean, all communities totally. should be ready to accept all essays at all times, but like maybe it, it takes a little bit of the scariness out of it. It's for changed folks. the way I, I submit. I tell them that all mm. the time. Like it used to be, because I was kind of told, in, and that was fiction context, but like, well, if you want to know where to submit um, in grad school, like read Best American Short Stories. Right. And whoever published those is where you should be submitting those are the best journals. But right. um, a lot of times I'm much more targeted now with anything I submit. And a lot of times it's it's like, it's not, like I was thinking about that and it's like, I'm sure, you know, it sounds like, oh, I hate the New Yorker because the New Yorker's rejected me. I don't think I've ever sent, I don't think I've ever pitched anything to the New Yorker. Me either. I think, I think my agent sent like my full book back when it was about to come out, hoping they would, because they always do that. They, mm-hmm. That's like part of the deal if you have a nonfiction book. But like, but I, I read a lot of stuff in here and I think, okay, I'm going to like send something to NER. I'm going to send something, New England, New England mm-hmm. Review. Like I'm going to send something to like, Salma Gundy, I, I think Salma Gundy, like some of them have focuses, like mm-hmm. the magazine has a focus, like Ecotone, where like it right. might not be exactly what I'm doing, or like Oxford American, which I love, but I don't really write about the South because I never really spent much time there. Right. Um, or like Ziziva, which what is, is a West Coast. Oh, it's West Coast. Well, I think that might have evolved a little bit. Um, that was their, I'm not sure what their situation is now, right now, but as of like most of its existence, you had to live either in... Uh, Washington, Oregon, California, or Hawaii or Alaska to submit to Zizipa. Really? Yeah. Which I always really liked. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, good thing I didn't submit to them. Yeah. Although I can now. What? Yeah. what? You should. They're, uh, I don't know the new editors, but it's a great magazine. Anyway, it's really like now I think more like it's about pieces, <clears throat> finding like pieces I actually respect, like that mm-hmm. journals have published and like getting a sense of like their aesthetics and then yeah. submitting there. You know what I mean? Rather than just like trying to submit to like the Paris review, which I still submit to the Paris review. Cause I actually like the Paris review a lot, but mm-hmm. um, just everything just start with like whatever people used to start with Atlantic, New Yorker, Paris yeah. review, the places that don't publish anything that's unagented anyway. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, or even Tin House, like would yeah. publish like one nonfiction from the slush yeah. every two years or something. I know we had a, we had an interview with a t- Tin House editor come, come here. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a gamble of a stamp <laughs> to, yeah. send, to send those out. But anyway, so you showed them a few literary magazine essays in week one. Yeah. And this was one of them and you selected it because you were, that, that was the sentence that you were starting before I interrupted yeah, yeah. you. I just selected it because I really like it and I wanted to kind of read it again and talk mm-hmm. about it and figure out why I liked it so much. Wanted to see if other people felt the same way. What did, um, uh, I guess we should do the premise before. I- yeah. So it's called open house. Um, it's from, from M plus one. And I talked a little bit about this. I think this is like one of the things that I'd like uh, about reading really any anthology, but you get a sense of like, I kind of know what an M plus one essay looks like now. Mm-hmm. And I think about like the first ones I read were, um, Oh shit, I can picture her. I've met her. I can picture her face, but I can't think of her name. Kristen Dombeck mm. wrote for them right. um, about like a lot of stuff. Uh, but like one series, I think, about like office work. And then um I actually knew one of their editors a long time ago. But it's like it's it's the an essay that'll do a lot of times it is a personal essay, um, but it always has kind of a project. It's like about uh-huh. so this is a person this is a good example. This is a personal essay about um a couple things. But like one thread of it is about his apartment building in the East Village in New York and mm-hmm. the people that are moving in since a corporate a corporation bought it from the individual owners. And it's a very different kind right. of person. But he's like rent controlled. So yeah. he's this like he's last. The old, yeah. yeah. And he keeps calling myself one of the old ones. But it's also about gentrification. Mm-hmm. It's about like what it's doing to New York. It's about what it's doing to the country. It's about what it's going to mean for people, you know, and it's very like directly about that. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting. And it's also like the kind of thing that 
one of the things I love about this essay, which I do think I see more in like the push card. And I, I don't know that you're going to see a lot in best American is something that is like openly kind of antagonistic to like mm. the kind of people who make up the literary establishment. You know what I mean? Like, because these, these folks are moving in and paying like five times the rent yeah. that he's paying and yeah. like ordering stuff online all the time and, and like kind of having, he's like catching the snippets of their conversations yeah. as they walk past him. And he's like peering through his peephole and watching them talk about like, yeah, like, uh, you know what they're ordering from Postmates or whatever. Or professional designers show up to just design their apartments. It's like mm-hmm. be Instagrammable before they even get there. I mean, his early on, he has a sentence describing them young and funded. They belong to a certain type, utterly unblemished, physically fit, exceptionally well-dressed and as bland as skim milk and unsalted saltine crackers. Young and funded. Yeah. That's wonderfully phrased. It really is. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, he, I, the second paragraph, you know, been there since the 1990s. I came here because I was a young, queer, transsexual poet. And where else would a young, queer, transsexual poet go but to the East Village? And then talking about that, mm-hmm. talking about like people at the margins and like what it's doing. And I think that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah. I, when I read it, I mean, this isn't really a craft thing, but like I, 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 li- when I lived in Pittsburgh, you could go to New York quite a bit. Yeah. And when I went, I would always stay what sounds like blocks away from where I, I, I always say from here uh, from, yeah. In the lower, uh, no, in the East village on sixth street between first and a, which is now where this like really famous cocktail bar is called okay. death and co. But like back then, like it was, he has a rent controlled apartment. He's still there. He's like, you know, 40, whatever years old, this guy that was a senior when I was a freshman in college. So he, he ended up in New York pretty quickly. And then, um, he would just, he was just our crash pad, you know, if we wanted to see a show or something. And, I could, it, it was just such a different, so, so anyway, so I went there all the time, would stay there years and years and years and years and years until 2012. So like 15 years. And it, uh, I started going back again, you know, once I had the money to do it, once I moved out here and then we would like wanted to go to death and co David and I, yeah. and I realized it was this block and it was the same block and it was completely different or the, the whiting people got me a headshot guy who he was like, come to my loft. And it was right by this apartment. This is the person who does every, every yeah. famous and writer's headshot. The, the picture of me is bad. Not just that it makes me look ugly, but like it makes me look completely unrecognizable. A, a mm. nice guy though. But like, I don't know, like it was so funny to feel like I've never felt so like completely unrepresented photographically. A, this is a little bit of a side thing, but you know, one of the other main headshot people, oh, I wish I could remember her name. She's really like really wonderful. She used to go to Suwannee. Every huh? year, does she not go anymore? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping to never get oh, my picture taken again. Her name? She's really great. Did you do that thing here where they were like, "Come to the cafeteria"? I don't and want like, to talk about it. Did did it not work? <laughs> it's like <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, nobody should go there. I why did I do but, it? <laughs> I, I knew the the moment I walked in, and I thought, oh no, because it was like. You know, it, it looked like it looked like the place where you used to go in the eighties to get like the starburst like family photo where you all had like you know what I mean? Olin Mills. I was like, are you gonna? Pro- are you, why is that huge screen behind me? Are you gonna project a backdrop? Like, and and then it's, it's like, like a wagon wheel. It's super harsh light. It's like very fluorescent. My hair is all fucked up. He mm. didn't tell me. I just taught like the, my collars all screwed up, and I'm like, 
I look insane. Oh, please, and internet. They already put it up on my profile. They didn't even ask me. They said it to me. I was like, oh, that's horrible. And then they just replaced my faculty profile. With what? It. Yeah, they replaced my faculty profile on their own. Oh they also my God. edited it. I can't wait. Do you know what um, photo comes up when you call me now? Like, you should no. just call me. I'll say something. <laughs> here. Just get out your phone and call me so you'll be able to see it from here. Um, it looks really, really good. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind I gotta of... figure out my... Uh, right now, I need to figure out my... Um, March Xness photo. They really put a lot of. Um, oh, let me make a. Oh, you got to do a. Well, it's a cover. Oh, show, show, show him. Oh, this is my phone. I told you about that though. Yeah. Oh, I thought it. Usually, it comes up as like a big, gigantic thing. Okay. Oh, but it won't do it. But it's it's this photograph of a guy wearing an Elvis wig that somebody sent me once uh, because they thought it looked like you. <laughs> Can you see? It's like you can. I don't know if you can see it. It's like a, like a dude with kind of like a rectangular face wearing an Elvis wig. And sometimes when I'm sorry that didn't work. Sometimes when you call, the whole screen is taken up by this picture of this like douchey looking dude. So I think we need to get that put in your faculty profile. Hey, anything would be better than the one that they picked. Pictures are headshots are hard having a face when you're over 40 is hard. Like, it's not like, it's not like these people that we're shitting on don't have their work cut out for them. Like it's really hard to get a good picture made. It really, really is. Well, I was hoping it could be my new author photo. Cause my old author photo is now like nine years old and yeah. I'm becoming that person that, you know, you make fun of for still using a 10 year old author photo, but Guilty. it was also the one that photo shoot went so poorly that it's the one he took to at the beginning to set the light. It's just like, it's just me staring, it's like scowling test. and it's like a, a blue sky behind me and that's all it is. And it was the only one because that one was a wedding photographer. I, I was like in Albuquerque and there weren't a lot of photographers and I like somebody said they knew this guy and, and he was like a wedding photographer. Oh, and, no. and so it was like, it was like me like kneeling next to like, <laughs> like a chimenea with like a fire going and I was like... And like me, like leaning against like an art museum wall with like one foot up on the class of 99. It was, it was something <laughs> else, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, we, I would love to get a better headshot, but it's too hard. Um, and then there's all the fancy people who just get really weird ones where they're like holding a chicken. Lydia Davis has yeah. one where she's just like holding a cat. One time, David, we went to a photo booth where they take your picture at the movie theater and then they make a fake pencil drawing like a pencil sketch yeah. like billy the kid okay. and he used that once for an author photo um that's not the worst idea no but anyway yeah so that's that's the thing one thing that really got me was the it, this is exactly where i spent time in the 90s and early okay. ozies and uh my friend brent confirmed that that is exactly what's happening in his building the really? old piano player and the weird cat lady and all these rent controlled people from the 70s and 80s yeah. when he moved there and was the young whippersnapper um they all are gone and it's like, you know, like people coming in, you know, from like, <laughs> like Yugoslavia or something yeah. and their dad is like a real estate baron and yeah. they're like, I will use this place to store my coats and then they live somewhere else or whatever. And, and like the entryway is full of Amazon boxes and like, it's yeah. Just like, yeah. And it's temporary, right? The, the, this, this author writes about that too. Like yeah. nobody stays for long and it's like, even the, the places are, are sort of built out in this way that just feels like strangely temporary and like what yeah. it feels like to live, to have a place be your home. I've never lived anywhere longer than, than actually the house that I live in now. Yeah, right? Same thing. Like, yeah. And by a lot, this guy's lived there for 30, well, almost 30 years. Yeah, he says the nineties. Yeah. So it must feel so strange to just be a wall away from like this prefab 
Airbnb, you know, like, you know, like starter apartment for somebody who has a trust fund. Yeah. Kind of. And he's like a justice activist, like a housing justice activist. Like, yeah. um, I think there's, he's either writing under a pseudonym or he's a justice activist under a pseudonym. Is that right? Yeah. I might've missed that part. Okay. Or there's some, he also mentions being a a mental health. mm -hmm. I don't know what, if it's counselor, psychiatrist, psychologist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, is it, I can't, I don't have it in front of me. Is it numbered sections or is it just it's, paragraphs? Um, no, it's, uh, oh, this is the printed version. I, I had printed out the uh, M plus one version. I think it's, it, I mean, it's pretty complicated. It's kind of like, but it, I don't think it's numbered. It's just a, it's a pretty long essay. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it just has like page breaks. Um, and I mean, pretty long sections. That's another thing I like about it is like, it's a, it's really, cause I, I will also, I mean, one thing that's, that I didn't notice they were all first person, but almost all of them are short. Almost all the essays in here are short. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's a Gerald Walker essay, which I think we might've talked about that one. Um, but it's like, there's a lot of like six page, three page essays in here. And this is yeah. one of the few, this is like 15 or, or 20 pages. So yeah, it gets um, into it. Like it talks, yeah. like what are, what are some of the different things that it talks about? Well, that's the thing is like, it's kind of interesting is like, it's this, I, I was trying to kind of explain this where like it's, it reads like a personal essay if you don't think about it too much, but it's actually mm-hmm. like, I mean, it really is research based. If you think about the fact that he, yes, he admits that he's kind of cyber stalking his neighbors cause he sees their names on Amazon packages, but it's a lot of detail right. about their lives from like Instagram and Instagram is a huge part of it. Like their lives are for Instagram. That's right. He finds their names on the yeah. packages in the hallway and then he starts mm-hmm. looking them up and they have these yeah. huge presences in yep. the world because they're of that age and of that demo. Yeah. Right? And there's multiple sections about Instagram and how it's like shaping a lot of this. And then there's a whole section about bewitched, uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, even he like kind of, which I, I really, really enjoy. <laughs> One of the sections about bewitched starts, my bewitched analogy does not hold up or does it. <laughs> and so uh, I really like that a lot. Um, how did that go over with the students who are all not bewitched age? Oh, that I think Except maybe for, might've been lost on. I mean, really, yeah. I, I only, I used to see it on Nick at night, but like, yeah. you know, bewitched was in the sixties. Yeah. It's like, um, the two Darren's. Yeah. But there's a fair amount of like sourcing. If you think about like, um, you know, it's quoting like, uh, advocate <laughs> articles from the 1990s about mm-hmm. like, gentrification it's, it's quoting a lot of sources about but it doesn't do it in like a really overt way where it's just like giant block quote um it's even like reporting has this great moment where he's just reporting a cranky old couple <laughs> that lived in a neighborhood that are arguing about their cat <laughs> in a diner and he just has it in dialogue and so it's it's really outward looking i think it's like in some ways kind of researched yeah. reported um but also personal. So I think it has multiple modes. I love when research does that where it's not like hard return. Now I am inserting the research yeah, totally. when it's just like woven into a sentence or a phrase here and there. And and then you go back and you look at it and you're yeah. like, Oh, this is chock full of like externally sourced information. Yeah. But it's just, it's just meted out in these little kind of syllabic chunks. Yeah. I and love that. Also. Yeah. Cause related to that, it also is not, and you know, a lot of times I would associate like if this, I don't know this author, but it, I, the bio did mention a novel and uh, mm. he repeatedly talks about writing a novel. A lot of times fiction writers, I, th- I kind of assume if they're going to be writing an essay, 
a lot of times it's very narrative, right? It's like got a very narrative frame. It's like new person is moving in. It's and it's not <laughs> that at all. It's much more complicated than that. Yeah, he's not like hold hanging it on some kind of plot based timeline. Yeah, because yeah. it really isn't one. It's a much bigger like he he's covering decades here. He's not interested in like one mm-hmm. neighbor. He's interested in like thirty years of like changing. That's one of the things for me that makes an essay an essay, right? Like it 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 refuses to hold on not refuses, but like it opts for something other than the narrative line. Like, uh, I mean, there's thought is a narrative and I'm sure following thought as a narrative line, but in this, the kind of more surface level sense, like, like you said, like it doesn't, there's a very, there's a way to write this essay and cover a lot of the ground that it covers by being like, it was a cold day in 1994 when I hoisted my, Jan Sport backpack. I'm trying to think of things in the nineties took a puff of my parliament light and, <laughs> uh, the, the breeders blaring in my yeah, yeah, disc yeah. man headphones. It's like the Bojack Horseman sequences where it's yeah. always like the songs like it is 1993. Like, <laughs> I love that show so much. What season so are you on? Or are you, doing? Uh, I'm on season three, four right now. So about like a little more than halfway oh, through. It's, it's so uh, good. it's such a good show. Um, but yeah, like I think th- those are kind of the re- a lot. Most of the reasons why I liked it. Um, did, did the you- students respond to it? Uh, I mean, I would say it was, uh, I don't think they disliked it, but it was probably, uh, mixed. Do they tell you when they don't like something? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, maybe not all the time, but I hope they do. I mean, I don't, I tell them like, I didn't write it. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like, I'm not handing out my friend's stuff. Um, cause I've learned that lesson. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I know. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So, uh, I think, I mean, I think it was mixed. I think some, but also it's like, you know, this is a really sophisticated essay. Like, mm. I think it's, you need to really, um, work. And yeah. It's, it's, and it's speedy too. Like he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't slow down for yeah. like, which is cool. I also like that. Like, I think the sort of New York focus of best American is often a bugbear in our conversations. Right. <laughs> you picked our New York essay. I know. <laughs> but I know. It, it's a fuck you New York essay. So it's okay. <laughs> well, I did. I also did level. I mean, a lot of the other essays I really like, but I knew I, I thought you were, cause you were, you kind of focused on another one, right? Is that right? Yeah. I read, um, gutted. Uh, well, I mean, I read, I read them all, but I, I paid special attention to gutted, uh, by, uh, Catherine Klusmeyer. And it was published in Agni, yeah. which is Agni also published the Fear in the Time of the Javelina, which Zoe Bossier, the namer of this podcast. Is that right? Yeah, okay. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Um, Cause I think f- I read it on, it was republished on long reads or something. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, like you said, with like N plus one, like I'm, I, I'm, I have like a really good sense of who to suggest this magazine too, having looked at yeah. some of these and there's, there's an Agni in um, the 2010s as well. Is that right? The, so this essay um, uh, uh, is, it starts out with this really kind of right there on the boat with a commercial salmon fisherman who hand catches like 30 pound salmon. Um, so to get that kind of distinction that like wild caught hand caught salmon and does it for like five months out of the year, I'm assuming and makes kind of like a year's worth of bank for what sounds like some of the most grueling, stinky, terrible work, but it's just her and her captain, she and her captain, um, covered and stinky and unable to shower <laughs> for like yeah. five months and working. Um, um, and th- it has kind of a plot to it. You know, certain kinds of catches are more memorable than others. There's certain complications. And she talks a little bit about how her expertise grew but that is almost completely evenly woven with a second narrative. Like it's almost an even spread between 
this fish narrative uh, and which feels kind of like it's the present tense and remembering this longer uh, harrowing uh, relationship with not relationship, but just like saga of her father developing what we learn at the very, very end of the essay is early onset, like 50, yeah, like 50. Yeah. Very young dement uh, Alzheimer's and um, sort of losing his faculties first living in the home with the family and then um, having to be institutionalized in more and more kind of uh, intense care homes. So, and the thing that really gets me is there is no like connective commentary. Yeah. There is no, there's not even that thing where like, it's just I mean, the page break. Yeah. It's like, I mean, there is resonance in between the two. Like she, the, the, at the, as the father is losing his faculties, there are these moments um, at various stages where he's asking either members of his family or people in the institution to help him, you know, kind of yeah. shuffle off this mortal coil that are then juxtaposed with these kinds of, pointed descriptions of what it's like to do certain things to kill fish, you know? So in that yeah. respect, they are talking to each other, but there's no, it's all implied. Yeah. yeah. It's all super implied. There is no explicit. And, and even, and even the resonances are a little subtle. Mm -hmm. Like the first time I read it, I was just so confused about not confused, but questioning, worrying about what was going on in the family narrative and also kind of so compelled by the details of the fish narrative that I wasn't able to even do that any kind yeah. of, because it was so buried. The resonances were so buried. I was just kind of holding on through the storytelling, which I don't think, uh, I don't think I, I experienced very often in braided essays, which is fine. I mean, I think yeah. you can be explicit and braid the essays together, but this is just like, yeah, not doing that first line of the section where it's like, the fish, I killed the fish in many, you know, whatever, like the yep. way the fish looked at me while I was hitting it with the bat right. reminded so, me of the way the look and whatever somebody else's eyes when I, you know. Right. Or even like if the I last mean, line of the previous thing is, and all he could do was look at me. And then the first yeah, is like, the the fish, yeah. sometimes a, a hook, like she talks about how like it's surprisingly difficult to get a hook out of a fish's eye. Yeah. So you'd have the eye line being the terminal yeah. line. She doesn't even do that. Like they we were just talking about this in workshop, but the, the image link across like a, uh, mm -hmm. about a Elisa Gabbert, uh, essay. Oh um, yeah. Where it uses yeah mirrors to do that. Yeah. A I really I, good essay too. Uh, vanity project. I really like that. Essay. Oh, I haven't read that one. It's good. We should add it to the, the thing. Yeah. I love her, but yeah, she's also kind of weighs in on the, um, March Xness. I think. Is that right? I think so. I think so. Um, but yeah, like, I think, um, I think, I think, I don't think it's bad to, to do the image link or to be explicit. Of course, like, it's not like, oh, wow, this, this doesn't do this thing that I don't like. It's just that it, it does, it has decided that it doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Like it's decided that these things feel relatively different to me throughout my reading of it. And then I go back as a teacher and I read and I'm like, oh, I could make these links. I could make these links. But in yeah. some respects, it really feels like, it feels like those paintings where, there's like a hard gutter in between the two images. Like you, you yeah. know, you're in like a, an art museum and you're like, it's like medieval. And you're like, this is a picture of a goat and this is a picture of an onion. And I guess they're connected yeah. somehow, but you don't quite. Which know. is actually juxtaposition, right? I mean, people use that term, but isn't that actually what it means? Maybe. Like when it's just put next to each other that's, without a. Without any explanation. Yeah. I think that right? sounds right. Maybe I'm, I mean, you'd have to ask a poet. 
for those things. Yeah. But I um, say that word a lot more times than I should for somebody who cannot provide a literal definition of a rhino. I mean, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's exactly what it is. Well, and then it's also like if it gets a lot of these terms get like misused enough that they enter the that they then enter the vernacular in the wrong way. Like literally, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, okay, I guess it does mean that. Now. Yeah, anytime anything is in the same vicinity as something else now is juxtaposed. Yeah, everything's juxtaposed. <laughs> right, it's right. like Yeah, um, this is like I I really appreciated how um or and I'm I'm interested in how this writer made it work, how how hard that gutter is in between. I mean, obviously these things are related. Like the woman who's, I mean, I guess it, it forces me to kind of like make the judgment myself in a way that's relatively dangerous, right? The things that you don't want somebody to do to you after a reading, right. when you read about a personal experience, like I'm like, oh, she's working so furiously. She's, she's picked this job where you're kind of like shutting out the world and living in this place. That's like, she, she guts fish tw 20 seconds at a time. So she's yeah. just like in this, like, so that must be because she's dealing, she's still unpacking this, you know, like maybe that's what I'm seeing is this kind of like labor as trauma response, which yeah. is so dangerous, but like, that's kind of what I'm left to do other than yeah. that or like appreciate the, just a great writing. Like. But I, I mean, I, yeah, I kind of dig that too, where like an essay just lets you do, I mean, I always talk about this as like, I overuse this term speaking of imprecise terminology, <laughs> but like, I think I think about the lyric differently than a lot of people do where like a lot of people think it just means like short sections and like whatever, <laughs> where I'm like, well, but it's like, it's working by like implication and like idea links and like suggestion mm -hmm. and like this, like literally, even though this is very prose-y, um, yeah, this pro is paragraphs. Yeah, like long sections, long paragraphs, dialogue, scene, et cetera. But like the associations between sections are associative. They're like, they're poetic. They're, they're the kind of associations you get in like a poem. Actually, I, Elisa Gabbard just posted it. Uh, I didn't read it at all, the <laughs> ultimate. But uh, I saw recently on Twitter, like I wrote a piece recently. I think it's about like the idea of lyric association. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, that could use a refresh in the minds of people. People also, uh, and I, I do this probably too, misuse, like they they juxtapose. No, they um, they mix up lyric and lyrical. Yeah. Like lyrical oh, prose. Yeah. All the time. Or they'll say that it's a lyrical oh, so move. lyrical prose doesn't mean anything? It, it I, just means it sounds nice? I it's guess? like flow, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, but no, that's how I see the lyric too, is like, like in kind of thinking about like, like lyric, like the early idea of lyric and lyric poetry is like, there is a, there is an impasse of expression between me and you. We can either be use explicit, uh, narrative, uh, epic, right. Language to right. bridge that gap, to yeah, over explain yeah. that gap, or we can acknowledge that gap by recreating it as a part of the expression. And that's right. where you get association, where you get yeah. breaks, where you get white space, where you get imp it's, it's a, it's the, the, the mental work of impasse yeah. as a form of communication in itself. Right. Yeah. Like, and that's what she's doing here, despite the fact that this is full of sentences and adjectives and all these things that we yeah. don't think of as lyric or a lyric essay, because it's like, if you don't see white space, <laughs> it's well, and it's else. like, I think stuff like that, I mean, you, you can't read in this much, but like, you know, when I think about an essay like this, I'm like, well, why wasn't this in Best American? This is in Agony. This is a pretty big magazine. It's, it's in Best American regularly. And I think yeah. like, this is spectacular because it's a little more difficult in those ways, I think is one of the potential reasons I come up with because like mm -hmm. the kind of things you read in Best American generally do make those, like when I say like middle brow, it's that kind of stuff. It's like, they do make explicit connections. Like 
You know what I mean? This stuff feels like a little more arty. You you definitely can miss it. I think when you read it in a way that I think is kind of great. Like, I mean, I ended this essay shook because she's a good writer and she has a, a, both of the stories are hella good stories to tell. Like a woman, a woman on this kind of a boat catching fish in this kind of a way is, um, a story in itself. And then this family story is, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I read a bunch of harrowing family stories every single day of my life. Yeah. Did you know when you signed up for this job that that was, and it's not just teaching, it's editing. It's like, uh, like all of like contest judging, um, like scanning anthologies for content. Like, yep. All I I, honestly, I wonder if that's part of the appeal sometimes of the essays, like when you're in a job, like the ones we do, like, and look, I'm not complaining about the job. I think it's a privilege to be able to do that. But like when you read that much of Mm -hmm. a certain kind of nonfiction, the other kind hits a little different for you. Mm -hmm. And it's not that one's bad and one's good. It's just that like, yeah, like a lot of times a third person research based essay about something that somebody's really, really, really enthusiastic and curious about is refreshing in a way, partly because of the degree. Yeah, I have to keep my editorial responses in check because sometimes I like you can't forget it in a yeah. pile of like possibly very well written yeah. sort of like takes on these these things that I'm now learning are part of everyone's lives like yeah. like terrible experiences or whatever or or even not terrible but haunting experiences there's something about the thing that looks nothing like that that like yeah. it just it just sticks in your head um, which is weird because I write almost exclusively the first kind. I don't, I don't do like the, th- I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but it's not really my wheelhouse. I think it kind of, maybe it, is that fair to say it's more your wheelhouse? Yeah. I, I'm yeah. trying to write personally now. And like, I was just talking to my agent yesterday and she was trying really hard to say something. And then I was like, I think what you're saying is I don't have the same amount of energy, fuel, skill, talent, articulating the thing that we talked about a couple episodes ago, articulating the way that I'm feeling than I do articulating what I read on the internet. And, um, it just doesn't, it just isn't the same writer. And she's like, she was so diplomatic about it. She was like, you know, that's why I love working with you because that's really astute. But really what she's saying is like, she asked me for more con, more personal content and I yeah. turned it in and she was like, Oh no, like that's this isn't not, the same writer. Cause yeah. I'm a baby in that respect. Like I'm not, it's new. And I also don't want to fucking do it. Like, well, that's the thing. I think that's probably, you know, what you don't want to think about yourself by the way is two and a half fucking years into a pandemic when there's no sun outside and you're <laughs> no, 40 years that. old and none of your brassieres fit anymore. <laughs> I didn't know you could outgrow a fucking brassier outside of puberty. I'm sorry. Also like you, I'm just going to call them brassieres. I always call them brassieres. <laughs> I hate bra. Bra is such a strange, yeah, bras are weird. especially now that well, people use bro as bra. Also because of the, this is very eighties, but like that thing on the front of a car, the car bra. Yeah. That ruined the word. It's just all I ever picture is like a, <laughs> is like a Ford Mustang with like a leather cap oh, on the front. Only a certain kind of car wore a bra. Yeah. I you know. ever noticed that? Yeah, like, like, yeah. A lot I, of Camaros, a lot of Mustangs. A lot of like, I don't know. Nothing. It's a little too late for a Chevy IROC Z, but whatever, like the 94 equivalent of an IROC Z, like that kind of thing. You know what else? Speaking of things that I probably shouldn't talk to you about because it's inappropriate because we're different genders. (laughs) I got laser hair removal while you were were sick with COVID. Wait, like yourself? No, No, I went and a lady did it because I'm getting all these weird like hairs popping out of my face and you can go and they 
burn your hair. They put these little sunglasses on you. It hurts apparently more on your face. People get their backs done. People apparently tattoo removal hurts a lot. The laser tattoo removal. Is that laser too? I think so. It smells so weird. It's such a weird feeling to smell burning flesh under like directly under your smeller, you know, like your nose. Um, but it, and then nothing happened. Like the same weird. Yeah. I was so mad because it's expensive. Yeah, I would imagine. And I assumed it was because I'm like, it's just a Mediterranean hairball. And that's just the way that I'm going to live for the rest of my life. But she said, she said, you know, like, Oh, give it a couple weeks. And then a week went by nothing. 13 days went by nothing. The morning of the 14th day, nothing. And then like the evening of the 14th day, I went to wash my face and it was like, like retreat, like all of the hair that she had fried just jumped ship. It was amazing. It was amazing. Is that what they use? I feel like my vanity thing is going to be, sorry, not that that's vain. um, Yeah. Is going to be teeth whitening. Every time I go to the dentist, mm -hmm. they're like, hey, they're like, you have the teeth of an 80 year old man because you grind them when you sleep. But also they're just mm. like, you should get teeth whitening. I'm like, okay. They suggest that to you? All the time. Yeah. Huh. They don't look that bad to me, but like everybody gets them white now. So it's- Is that right? If is you that have, what it is? Yeah. Like okay. RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I watched all of the American RuPaul's Drag Races. And so then I had to start watching the uh, uh, foreign RuPaul's Drag Races, like Canada okay. and UK. So, okay. So somebody else besides Ru- RuPaul? RuPaul hosts the one in uh, UK, but doesn't set foot in Canada for some reason, even though it's closer. And then there's like España and uh, Thailand and Ru does not show up at any of those. But the I haven't seen those. I've only seen so far. Uh, it, you know, winter is it's not over, but uh, I've only seen the London and the uh, UK and the Canada and the teeth, I I'd realized I hadn't seen a drag queen with her own natural teeth yeah. in like oh, when you've seen 12 yeah, seasons. Yeah, yeah. There is no drag queen. Yeah. They don't even have like even white British teeth. sitcoms and stuff. You're just like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. These are like real people. You know what I mean? They're not yeah. like, yeah. They're and not I'm like, not going like, oh, Austin Powers, all Brits have terrible teeth. These teeth look like my teeth. Like they're just yeah, they're like not, they're not regular terrible. people's they're just teeth. They're like normal teeth. And I, yeah, I've been looking at, I think I feel like that way. This is really inappropriate, but I we're in our place of business. I worry about that in terms of body hair with what era you watched the most pornography, because there's a certain era in the eighties and nineties where, you know, like now like, like the VHS era. Yeah. Where it's like so low resolution though. Like, well, that's true too. Or maybe like the Ozies. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm no expert anymore, but like, or ever, but like, I, f- I feel like it's like that with the teeth. It's like, what is, what, what are we teaching people about what teeth should look like? But you know, there's a lot of, a lot of hair removal in, in certain areas of pornography where I'm like, if you watch this and you don't have any access to an actual woman, right? are you going to expect yeah. like the things that <laughs> are being reported by 99.99% yeah. of like whatever you can get your grubby little hands on, you know, yeah. <laughs> when you're like a kid. Well, like, I guess this is, it's unkind to talk about it with specific examples, but just like a lot of those actors, a lot of like my favorite actors that are like eighties people, they came up in the eighties uh-huh. and you know, they, they don't look like what actors look like now. No. They don't look like Chris Pine. No. You know what I mean? They look like, Chris and I mean, Pine. it's like, they look like Paul Giamatti. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, I love Paul Giamatti. I don't mean that as a yeah, thing. No. But like I love Paul Giamatti. Dennis Franz yeah. has like roles where he was a romantic lead and he looks like the penguin. Wasn't he actually a cop? Dennis Farina. I one of the people. It was him and Dennis the other guy Farina. with the mustache. Farina. Dennis yeah, Farina yeah, okay. definitely was. Dennis Franz might have been. He was in, but he was an actor 
He was in like that Brian De Palma movie about sound blow up. Have you ever seen that? No. You would fucking love really? it. It's really cheesy. And John well, Travolta mm-hmm. is the dramatic lead. Well, it's starting off well. But I mean. he's great. And and then there's this like- sm- Oh no, I'm serious. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I love this movie. Like people are like, I mean, people think that of it as this kind of like big, like De Palma is like this big sort of body heat, 80s movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. like bombastic guy. But it's a great movie about sound. It's right up there with the conversation, the Gene Hackman movie. Like he's he's trying, he's this- Gene he's, Hackman, another good example. Right. Pretty normal looking dude. I tell you what though, Gene Hackman can get it. Yeah. He might even young, be dead Everybody now. says that about young Gene Hackman. It's like, the, those are a couple of the ones that I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of women, especially uh, yeah. young Gene Hackman and uh, Donald Sutherland. Oh my God. I don't necessarily get it, but I don't need to. I we mean, have I, already I, I talked about you. this on this podcast, yeah. but a young Donald Sutherman, like Sutherland, like is like a stop the remote moment. Like we just got to watch, we just got to watch him walk. Like, hello. He's like, you know what he's like? He's like a fighting bantam rooster, but like one of those blonde ones. Isn't Kiefer just not to be, but like the better looking version of him? Kiefer is- People don't seem to have the same deal with Kiefer. No, I mean, Kiefer's, cause Kiefer doesn't have it. Like the way that, Kiefer has something. Don't don't get me wrong, I'm not into, and I have 0.00, like the seismograph needle does not move for me with Kiefer. Okay. Donald Sutherland, like he's, he just plays, he's got that, he just plays his status in this way that is so- He's he's like the He's like the Rene Russo. Of like, if you switch the, she was great. Maybe that's everybody. With the She's an example of an like of like an eighties nineties movie. This conversation. Well, I know this is in. How are we having like the most inappropriate know, conversation? Worked. Like, so ladies' right. walls are thin. <laughs> like, um, we're gonna open the door and our students are gonna like. Well, I do have to be with a student fifteen minutes. So, oh, you do? Yeah, we should. Oh, okay. Well, then let's do the lightning round. Okay, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off about. Um, I do, talked on forever about my essay, and I feel like you didn't. Oh, I wanted to say. Um, do you want me to talk about her uh, bio, which? Um, one thing I love about the push cart really love is that they limit your bio to two lines. Oh, that's so hot. everybody, even like, even like, uh, Otessa Moshfeg. Yeah. Or like Joyce Carol Oates gets two sentences. <laughs> um, but, uh, Catherine Klusmeyer lives in Sitka. Her essays have won prizes from crazy horse and MIT media lab. That's kind of, yeah, she has, she did like a, um, so she has like a bioengineering degree or something like that. Oh. I've said that wrong, but she has a sciency McScience yeah. degree. And she did some kind of reporting about like biology or microbiology or something. And now she's, um, I think she's in the NWP. Oh really? Yeah, I think so. Okay. She's, she's in one, she's either in poetry fiction or nonfiction. Okay. Uh, but, um, when you can, this, this essay is available online. So you, you don't have to get the the anthology. uh, Is that right? So is the N plus one. No paywall. Uh, it wasn't, there wasn't a payroll paywall as of a couple of weeks ago. So don't, I don't you love so. it? Yeah. I love when there's no paywall. Yes. I highly like, let us know what you think. Um, I highly recommend both of these and um, was surprised by the one that I selected, honestly, but I really did like it. The one that I selected was about fish. There was a lot of information that I learned about fish that I didn't know. Yeah. Like a fish will keep swimming even when it's dead. It can be decapitated and dead for several yeah. minutes and you it, it, there's something in its nervous system that will allow its tail to keep moving once it experiences cold water yeah. or I'd love an essay about work. People with real jobs yeah. doing them. There's it's great. I had a student come into my office in undergraduate telling me about this, her job cataloging beetles. She had this other essay idea and she was kind of talking about it. But the minute she started talking about this job that she's been doing, it's like 10 hours a week that she's been doing for like six months. It's like, oh, there's your language. You know, yeah, there's totally. your, 
there's yep. this person that I will, I mean, I, I feel like I got like a ticket to something, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and I tried not to be like, do that, but like, it, it's just so hard not to, when somebody opens that door to a vocabulary and an affinity, she was talking about how the hairs on the Beatles, like they're like patterns, yeah, but they're also like cookie cutter. And then when you find an outlier, like you feel like you're looking at a piece of art. Yeah. I'm like, uh, we who else a, is going to be able to do that? I guess we don't name our, but we, I mean, we have a grad student right now is writing about being a firefighter and every single thing. I'm like, this is so interesting. This is so interesting. It's the like, this part sauce. is so interesting. This part is so interesting. Yeah. Just please keep doing this. It's oh. like, that's like the feedback. Please keep doing that. All this shit that I yeah, never thought of in terms of fighting fires. Yeah. So cool. Well, anyway, but so this, this expert was a fish expert. So I thought we would end with a Buzzfeed quiz. Okay. About fish, fish is an animal. This is going to. I eat fish still. I'm a vegetarian, but I eat it. I still eat them. I'm it's pes- not about fish. Okay. But you oh, could end fish. up, okay. the answer could be fish. What, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out what kind of animal you are. And if your student comes in, they is can it help a fish? us. Okay. Is your favorite hobby going to the park, exploring nature, reading, taking naps, exercising, or swimming? Oh, hobby? Um, oh. I like naps as a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's a hobby, but pro- I do reading more than any others. Mm. So. Do you like to eat the most salad, peanuts, tuna, veggies, or fruit? Fruit. Really? Yeah, probably. Oh, what's your, fa- what's your go-to fruit? Little tiny orange? I do eat a lot of those. David is too. Uh, a lot of berries. No scurvy for you, my friend. Yeah. What's your personality like? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a BuzzFeed question. Are you funny, outgoing, caring, brave, friendly, or sassy? Oh, I hope you say sassy. The cranky's not an option. No. Um, oh, uh, sassy, I guess. Yeah. What type of personality is your ideal pet personality? So if you had a pet, what kind of personality would you like to have? Caring pet, a playful pet, a pet that loves to cuddle, a pet with great hearing, a pet that loves the outdoors, or a mean pet? Oh, see, I was going to say calm because it's the opposite of the pet I have. I guess the pet who loves the outdoors, pet who (laughs) likes to take a hike. Guess what you are? What am I? You're a bird. I'm a you're bird? intelligent and caring. There's no other information. <laughs> what kind of bird? That's a category. That's not an animal. This is like a goldfish. Okay, I'm going to do mine really quickly. My favorite yeah. hobby is to... Uh, I love to swim, even though I don't ever do it. Um, so I'm going to say swim. Uh, the thing that I like to eat the most is probably salad of all those suggestions. My personality is, uh, outgoing. I would say, uh, what kind of personality would I like my pet to have loves to cuddle? I am a fish. I'm unique and creative. And there's a picture of finding Nemo on it. Fish are unique. I don't think if this is unique, I don't think this they was written by a person who speaks yeah, that's, English. That's like a AI. That's an AI bot. I think, quiz. I, I think your Roomba wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you guys want to tell us what animal you are, just go to this personality quiz will reveal what animal you are, what animal you would be on buzzfeed.com. Maybe I'll link to it in the, um, Sweet. on the Twitter. But um, also oh, yeah. if you would like to suggest, Oh yeah. You know, somebody told David once that he was a seagull, but the kind of seagull who hangs out in a Walmart parking lot. That's very specific. Can't you see you it? You gotta though? unpack that. Can't you see it? Nah. <laughs> I can totally see it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like, he, like he could go to the ocean, yeah. but he's kind of like just like eating a French fry. Well, it's maybe the chaos energy that we've discussed. It's his chaotic, chaos chaotic energy. mix. Yeah. yeah, tell us what either what animal you think we are 
or uh, go ahead and uh, tell us what animal you are. And yeah. we will, barring any more infections, we will yes, be back in a couple weeks. Follow your dreams, America. You got to go advise a student. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to I'll Find Myself When I'm Dead, a podcast about the literary essay. Follow us on Twitter at Essay Podcast. Email us at contact at essaypodcast.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, just keep hanging in there.